Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to the brand new season of Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Jazz Shapers is where I bring you the pioneers, the risk takers, the problem solvers shaping the business world, together with the musicians shaping the worlds of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, launching our new season with a real changemaker, is Anne Bowden, MBE, founder and CEO of Starling Bank, a leading UK digital consumer bank. After a career at the pinnacle of some of the world's top banks, Anne became disillusioned in the aftermath of the financial crash. Banking, she felt, was stuck in the past and someone needed to start a new bank, putting the power back into the hands of the consumer, and decided that that someone was her. Having already experienced entrenched sexism in the industry, and then age 54, and without entrepreneurial experience, faced new forms of prejudice and doubt. But despite severe setbacks, she built a team and new technology and launched Starling in May 2014, becoming the first woman in the UK to start her own bank. Starling Bank now offers personal, small business, joint and children's banking services in use in almost 3 million accounts across the UK. And Anne sits on the business advisory councils of both the Prime Minister and the Mayor of London. Anne Bowden is my business shaper and it's lovely to have you here on this, the very first episode in the new season. I read your book. Ooh, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Banking on it by Anne Bowden, published I think first in 2020. Yes, and then came out in the, in the pandemic. In the yes, pandemic. Yes. I want to start with this line because it, it struck me having read the whole thing and it's right at the end um, and it's in the acknowledgements actually mm. and I, and I kind of think this is at the heart of what I want to discuss with you today. And finally you write, to the person who first said to me, it can't be done, thank you. I do respond well to a challenge. Yes. Why does Anne Bowden respond well to a challenge? I think I like to prove that it is possible, that I can do it, you can bust stereotypes, you can change the world. I find it exciting. And people have told me throughout my my childhood, my early career, that it couldn't be done and I couldn't do it. And yes, I do like a challenge. And having read the book and having, you know, done my usual research, that's completely clear from very early age. And in corporate life, actually, in some ways, it's it's tough in a different way to assert yourself. And especially as a young woman mm-hmm. in the banking world, which you were a gradu- mm-hmm. graduate trainee way back in the early 80s, mm-hmm. I think, at Lloyd's and all those other big roles that you've had, senior roles. Was that just blind prejudice that you were a woman and that you couldn't be I mean was it as simple as that or was there other stuff cooking was it the fact that you were from Wales was it I mean I'm mm. I'm trying to get under the skin of why it felt like you were being undermined or or challenged as it was in the sense of being able to deliver whatever it was you were meant to be delivering when you're going through these these times you don't think there's anything unusual going on when I was a new graduate in Lloyds Bank in the early 80s, starting my career in banking and technology, I thought this is how the world works. I didn't realise that in some respects the odds were stacked against me. I didn't really take on board all the various issues that made me different. It's only now, you know, looking back, that I can see that some of the frustrations at the time weren't my fault. 
it was the system. I've had a great career. I'm having a great career. I'm having the time of my life. And looking back, I really, really enjoyed the journey. Mm. But I was a, you know, 21-year-old coming to London for the first time in a big job. I think I was earning more than my father on my very, very first day in my first job. And my father was, you know, had a a semi-trade sort of job in a manufacturing and trade in the steel industry. My mother was working in the in a department store. And it was a big thing, me getting a degree. It was a big thing with me coming back to London. And I was taking on many other sort of challenges. You know, I was a woman in banking, in tech, and I was a computer science graduate, and they don't look like me. And that is one of the first challenges that you get to grips with. But at the time, did I think I was disadvantaged in any way? Did I think I was discriminated against because I was a woman or whatever? No, I didn't. I thought life was going to be fair and I was going to work very hard and get as far as I I could. It's only looking back now that I see that life was different. That work ethic, you mentioned your, your mother and your father. I imagine they worked really hard. And I imagine you saw that every day. Was that the main influence for Anne Bowden in terms of her work ethic? Or does it come from somewhere else? Because again, if I'm reading between the lines and I look and having had clients in my old world from advertising that were banks, building societies, it's unbelievably hard to manage a bank that's set up. It's even harder infinitesimally to open a new one. That requires someone who isn't just going to work. That requires someone who is on a mission. Where does that come from? Looking back at my parents, my parents, yes, they worked hard, but they worked hard for a reason. They worked hard in order to, for us to have fun. You know, it's a very happy household. You know, we, you know, my father used to come home at four o'clock in the afternoon, pick me up from school, um, pick my mother up from work, and we'd go down the beach. You know, that was the sort of family we were. We, we had great holidays. You, know, you worked in order to have holidays. You worked in order to spend time with each other and have fun. It, was very, it wasn't a serious household. I learned to read by reading holiday brochures. You know, that was the sort of home it was. And we realised that we were very, very fortunate. We were a little bit more affluent because my parents worked hard than the people surrounding us. Mm. And therefore we knew very well that we had an advantage and we enjoyed that and we had a great time and we realised that life and fun is, is quite precious. But you work so hard. I mean, you talk about it in the book, you you know, and you talk about, listen, they may have been discriminating against me, they may have gone down the pub and, and avoided me, but frankly, I just put in more hours. I carried on going. I had tasks to do. They ended up working for me anyway because I'm, I was I worked so hard and I was clear what needed to be done. In a way, I don't know, that. does your joy come more from all the work you do? Because obviously, the, the, you know, you talk about at four o'clock, dad gets home. But by your own admission, work is your love. I mean, you enjoy it and that's and, and you embrace it. So, Yeah, good point. Um, I must admit that when my dad came home at four o'clock, we did go to the beach for all my books from school. Um, but it was very much, um, I think I get a lot of pleasure from work. Mm. I think we have, not everybody is as fortunate as we are, you know, sitting in the studio here today, we are doing a great job. We go back into our offices and we have 
interesting people around us, interesting conversations. We can take part in life. We can read newspapers and listen to music. We have rich lives. Mm. It's not like that for everyone. Work for some people is complete drudgery. And I think that we have to consider that. I can work all these hours and throw myself into it because it's intellectually challenging. I make the opportunities for for our customers and for our employees. And it's fun. I can't complain about what I do. And she's not complaining, to be clear. <laughs> the bright blue eyes are looking at you and they're not complaining. They look very happy. <laughs> Much more coming up from my business show, but it's Anne Bowden. She's the founder and CEO of Starling Bank. Right now, though, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Reyes, Victoria Piggott and Dr. Rebecca Newton, organisational psychologist and CEO of Coach Advisor, discuss the impact of women in positions of leadership and on boards. The Mishcon Academy digital sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. Getting women on boards, why does it matter? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a lot of research that's been done and we know from research that having women in positions of leadership in organisations and having women on boards makes a difference to the performance of the company, to the culture of the company and to the effectiveness of the board or senior teams themselves. And when you say it makes a difference, um, it improves productivity, it improves how employees feel about their jobs. Is it is it that kind of tangible thing that improves? Yes. Like I said, it, it impacts culture. It also, I mean, in terms of the most tangible outcomes, it improves business performance. So, for example, one study that was done of 11,000 companies in Australia over a six-year period, they had a look at women in leadership positions and found that a female CEO, for example, increased the market value of that organisation by 5%, which is worth nearly 80 million Australian dollars on the ASX 200 companies that they were looking at. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can revel in all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. It sounds almost rude. And indeed, you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. But back to today's guest, the main event. It's Anne Bowden, my first of the season here on Jazz Shapers. Founder and CEO of Starling Bank, a leading UK digital consumer bank. So there you are. You're going to set your own bank up. The first time that you said it out loud was to yourself or was it to somebody else who happened to be in the room? I was on holiday in South Africa in early 2014 and I had decided to quit my job to start a bank. And somebody asked me what I did for a living. I said I was starting a bank and I felt so silly, stupid, arrogant, pompous, but people don't start banks. And I shocked myself. But as I, as I said it more, as I got used to the idea, it became more real. Yes, I was starting a bank. I realised that the banking industry had lost its way. It was doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons. And somebody should be brave enough to start a bank. And 
it took me a while to realise that I also wanted to do something new and it could be me that started that bank. But I felt, I felt as if I wasn't big enough, important enough to, to make that bold move. But the more I said it, the more I actually got into difficult situations where people said, what are you doing? And I was responding, I'm going to start a bank like no other. It all became much more real. Also, I couldn't go back. You know, I couldn't go back to my old world once I'd come out of that. I couldn't go back to the, the people that felt and believed the old things. There was no going back. I had to make it work. And making it work, of course, is the, is the combination of both the vision, like it's going to have this kind of technology, it's going to be this kind of seamless user experience, that's what's going to go on. I'm not going to have branches. I am going to make money on the current account, even though the folklore in the industry mm-hmm. is you don't. All those things. But it's also about people. So on the mm-hmm. one hand, I look at your life and I go, wow, she's brainy. She's got it. She knows what to do. She's got 25 years in the fintech, before it was called fintech, right? Yeah. She's got all that. She's got these key people in her life as they go. And in the book, it comes out, the, the Alan Chandler story, the fellow who came and sat there and never seemed to leave. Uh, the Harold uh, McBride fellow who said, no, it's not 3 million, it's 48 million. There are these people there. How do you balance the two? One is the rational part of Anne's brain and the other one is a really emotional part. How do you make sure they work really beautifully together? People took a risk on me. I, you know, went through the ups and downs of starting a bank and when I really needed people to make commitments to the vision, they made that decision. Alan Chandler, who's, you know, sort of with us today and I've just been speaking to him a couple of hours ago, turned up to give me a hand and stay 10 months without earning a single penny because he believed in the vision and he believed that we could pull it off. The issue was so many people backed me along the way. I couldn't back out of this. It was so important. People had committed their their time, their effort, set aside things they wanted to do with the vision of creating a new bank. So I had to succeed. We had to succeed. And yes, you know, sort of seven years later, we are, I hope, a very important bank in the UK. But from the first statement, I'm going to start a bank, to people saying that they were going to give up and deprioritize other things in their life to support me. There was no going back. This thing had to succeed and we were going to be a success and we were going to deliver what we needed to to customers, which I felt had been really let down by the financial system. There's an economist, Joseph Schumpeter, who talks about creative destruction, Mm. famous in the 50s, is one of my favourite economists because I just like the idea of tearing things down the whole time. Here we are seven, eight years later. Are you still tearing things down? Are you still looking for the perfect experience for someone who had, you know, a person in the banking world? Is that still your driver? Yeah, I think we're just starting. I think what we have now is that we represent about 50%, half the market share of Barclays in small business banking. We have about 3% of market share in retail banking. We have all the features and functions, plus lots more, the entry stakes to providing great customer service. Um, one of the things I I love doing, and perhaps I should admit it, is that um, the Competition and Markets Authority, every six months there's a survey of customers in which they ask them all about the products and and they rank the banks. And all the banks have to put in their branches and on their websites 
the order, the ranking order of how how good banks are in in serving their customers. So I love going into Barclays or HSBC or Lloyd's and seeing something on the wall, a list on the wall, and Starlings on the top. I can't take a photograph because it's probably not, you know, you can do that for security reasons. But we're there. We're part of that group of banks now that serve customers. The next stage is to go the next level, to figure out how we can really help customers with their financial lives. We've entered the market. We have market share. We're doing a great service. We are rated very highly. Now we are starting we won a license, you know, back in 2016, we won a license from the regulator to operate a bank. Now we have the license from our customers to help them take things to the next level. And we're spending a lot of our time now working with groups of customers, figuring out what we can do to help them, you know, in this very, very difficult times. Technology is really, really exciting. Technology is changing so fast. What can we do to figure out how we can help customers keep them safe and take some of the stress away from managing their money? So, yeah, we're starting. And there's a whole range of things now we're starting to experiment with. I was going to say, because the the challenge now in a way is to not be conventional. Hmm. Because now you're in that set and you've literally got the license and you've got the license which gives you trust and trust is the key thing in all of this. You can't slip into all the folklore that you yourself were saying, but that's just folklore. How do you ensure that you do that? I think actually having contact with real customers. Customers still email me, contact me. I answer their queries sometimes on Twitter and social media. Some of those questions are, I feel as if we've let customers down and I need to do something to fix it. Sometimes customers need features or functions that we need to work on. But surprisingly, it's present difficult at Starling to separate yourself from customers because we all want to do it. We all want to listen to customers. We all want to talk to people that are talking to customers. One of the most difficult jobs, I think, in Starling are the people who talk to our customers 24 by 7. We're available on, on chat or on the telephone you know, 24 by 7, every day of the year. And some of those conversations, my hat goes off to the people having them. We've got people on the other end of the line, you know, perhaps want help and assistance in a difficult spot. Some of them are having a great time. They're on holiday and want some support. Some of them are going through difficult family times. But we have people on the end of the line that show empathy. And that is very, very important to us being able to show empathy to customers. And I think that's what differentiates us. I want to be the best technology bank where we're offering the best technology to customers, but I want us to have a heart and talk to customers. And that is because it is really, really difficult to do that. It is so easy for big organizations to put a barrier between them and the customer, to let somebody else deal with the pain the customers are going through. I think we all at Starling believe that that's what keeps us honest, that's what keeps us really thinking about what we can do to make things better. Final chat coming up with Anne Bowden, my guest today, and we've got some music from Snarky Puppy's latest album too. That's all in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Condorea. It's business. 
but it's personal. Anne Bowden has been my very precise, very open business shaper today. Uh, she's the founder and CEO of Starling Bank. In all the things you say, Anne, and the story and all that, there's a lot of emotion mm. in there. And you talked about empathy just before with regard to treating people just as humans, right, who happen to be, mm. bank, happen to be banking with your customers. How have you managed to manage your own emotions through all of this? You know, you talk about when it, you began as a trainee and then you moved through to these senior roles and then you stopped and you start again. And then through the book, you talk about just how difficult it was and some of the fallouts and stuff from at the beginning of the business. And even and even recently, there's been some stuff in the press. Mm. How does Anne Bowden manage when she's privately there on her own in a room thinking about stuff? How do you ensure that it doesn't turn into anything too negative? Because it strikes me again, you are very resilient, but you're more than that. You're joyful about what you do. But there must be those dark moments. I think you have to be very rational about what we do and how it compares to other people's lives and other people's experiences. Lots of things have gone very right for me and very right for the people that I work with. You know, we all have jobs. We're all able to spend time with people we like, doing interesting things. Yeah, things will go wrong. But that is, that is what we're paid for. I am extremely privileged to be a founder and a CEO of a successful bank that's a privilege. And, you know, going with that means that there are times that are going to be tough. There are times where we can be criticised. There are times that we could have done a better job. There are times when we could have served our customers better. You need to take those and take them as criticism to do a better job. And you get better. I am fortunate. And the people around us also can celebrate having built a very successful bank we have nothing to be, it's relative. Lots of people at this time are really suffering. We've got people who can't pay their electricity bills and their energy bills. The people that work for Starling, the financial services industry, the people in jobs that are managing to pay their bills can consider you know, their position against others. I think that the financial services industry and founders and the tech industry need to appreciate how success is fun and not always complain about it. Mm. Just one final thing before I ask you your song choice. Um, you were described in, the, in a recent FT interview when you had lunch uh, with Patrick Jenkins, I think it was, as an iconoclastic, you know, as an iconoclast, basically. For anyone thinking about doing their own thing that's different now, challenging the convention of a category what would you say to them? What kind of motivational thing would you say to that individual listening now going, you know what, why not? Talk about it, do it. Don't do a, you know, a, a huge amount of research and stay in your bedroom doing the analysis for three years. Get out there, talk about it, start something, be brave. You're not going to launch a business if nobody knows about it. It's been really nice talking to you. Really good. Thank you. It's fabulous to kick off the season with you. Um, before I let you disappear, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Um, my song choice is, was inspired really from something in the book that most people ask me about. Um, there's a story in Banking On It about when I was a child, my parents and myself always got to our feet when the ads came out that had music. 
So so an ad come on and whether it's for cornflakes or for shampoo, we'd all get up and jog around and sort of and dance. And then when the programme started, we'd, we'd stop and we'd carry on watching the television. Well, I, as an 11-year-old, I thought that every family did that. <laughs> so when I visited friends and they didn't do it, I was quite shocked, you know, sort of, what do you do in the adverts? So, so that prompted me to think about some favourite ads. And I think I'd like to name, I'd like to teach the world to sing, which was the Coca-Cola ad in, when I was 11. I think it's by Roger Greenaway and uh, Roger Cook. And yeah, that's my music. It's all about having fun. It's all about jumping to your feet and dancing away when something inspires you. That was the New Seekers with I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing, the song choice of my business shaper today, Anne Bowden, and she was recollecting how she and her family would dance around the room when they watched their favourites' ads, and that was from one of them. She talked about loving a challenge. This is a person who was built for a challenge, and you read the book and you will see the other challenges that she faced as the bank that she's created almost didn't get created. Uh, She talked about fun and joy and the importance of that within her work, not just outside of her work. And she talked about the privilege it is to be a CEO and a founder of a business and to be responsible for delivering something fantastic and responsible to the people that work for you. All brilliant stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. I'm really pleased to be back for the new season. Hope you have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.